please. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to start uh, reading in verse 1. And uh, we'll read down to verse 11 as we do, have been doing for the last few weeks, just to make sure we put everything in context. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing what tribulations, knowing that tribulations worketh patience. Patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. But when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you that we can join together in this place and around uh, this uh, city to, Father God, open your word, to study it together, to meditate upon its truth. And we do pray, Father God, you'd minister to us through your word tonight. Speak to us by its truth. Give me wisdom, I pray, from on high, that I might say that which you would have me to say. And Lord, we pray tonight that you'd receive all the praise and all the glory as we join together in this place and around your word in each place, that your name would be lifted up. Bless now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've said that in Romans chapter 5 we have revealed to us the seven benefits of justification, or seven benefits of justification, I guess there may be more, but seven benefits of justification. And so far we have noted firstly that we have peace with God in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The war is over. The peace treaty has been signed. And you and I are no longer an enmity with God because we've been justified. Secondly, we noted that we had access to God. It says there in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Access to God. You and I have been, had an entrance into the King of Kings through the favour of another. The Lord Jesus Christ introduced us to the Father. And you and I have access to him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now tonight we come to the third benefit of justification, and that is that we have hope. We have hope. It says in verse 2 at the end there, it says, And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have hope in the glory of God. You know, as the coronavirus wreaks havoc across the world we can't help but wonder how we might have hope and peace in times of crisis you know, as you look at the restrictions that uh, are placed upon us in this country and around the world the restrictions on sending kids to school cancellations of sporting events 
the closure of cafes and restaurants and even the closing of churches so we have to go online. You see the restrictions on travel and entertainment and the postponement of holidays and the imposition of social distancing and maybe even social isolation. But you see the infection rate and death rate rise. You and I can be tempted to lose hope. You and I can be tempted to be overwhelmed by fear. But you know, as believers, there is no need for us to be consumed by fear. There is no need for you and I to be consumed by anxiety. There is no need for you and I to somehow, in the midst of this crisis, panic. Illness and disease has always been part of the human existence ever since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. The reality is that this world has faced its fair share of illness and disease. Tragedies and catastrophic events have happened since the beginning of time. For instance, the Black Death is estimated to have killed 30 to 60% of Europe's population. In total, the plague reduced the world population from an estimated 475 million to 350 million in the 14th century. In 1918, the Spanish flu killed an estimated 50 million people. There was an outbreak of the same Spanish flu in 2009, those of you who are a bit older probably remember this, which killed an estimated 200,000 people around the world. And now as we are here today, we face a pandemic, the likes of which none of us have seen in our lifetime. And as we brought face-to-face with the reality of social isolation, the raising, rising unemployment, the rising death toll worldwide, fear is a natural response. And while fear may well be a natural response, as believers, you and I need to remember that we've not been given a spirit of fear. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 7, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Indeed, you and I have been promised hope, not only here in Romans chapter 5, but in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16, we read, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Now, don't get me wrong, people are rightly troubled today. People are rightfully fearful because of COVID-19. It is a scary thing that's happening in our world. And it would seem that in other parts of the world right now, it would feel even more so than it does even in Australia. Uh, Think of the people in New York. Think of the people in Italy. Think of the people in Spain. Um, you know, and even in England where it's increasing now, there, there are parts of the world and we may well end up in that same situation if the trajectory remains the same as in other parts of the world. We pray and hope it doesn't, but, you know, people are fearful, people are anxious, and don't get me wrong, people have a right to be fearful and people have a right to be troubled. But as believers, we do not need to be consumed by fear. We ought to be cautious. We ought to be concerned. We ought to prayerfully consider our country and pray for our political leaders and pray for the right decisions to be made 
by the health officials and pray for our society, pray for our family members. We ought to be praying that God would withhold the uh, infections from around this country of ours. Yes, we ought to be praying about that. But beloved, remember this, we have a great God. While everything else may be turning upside down, God is still on the throne. He hasn't abdicated. He's still there today. He's still upon the throne. He still is the King of Kings. He still is the Lord of Lords. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. The God that we learned about this morning in the Garden of Eden is the same God that's governing today. The God that created this world is the God who's sustaining this world. And this virus did not catch him by surprise. It may have caught governments by surprise around the world, but God was not unaware of what was happening. And because we have a great God, you and I can have peace. And you and I can have a peace that brings hope. And that hope comes because we're justified. That's what the apostle says here. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Peace brings, is, is brought to us by knowing that our hope is rooted and rested in God. You see, our hope is not dependent upon the world. Our hope is not dependent upon our governments. Our hope is not dependent upon the health officials. Our hope is dependent upon God. And in the context of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, peace with God, as Romans 5, 1 says, takes care of the past. We're no longer under the condemnation of sin. Sin no longer is held against us. The war is over. The peace treaty has been signed. Access with God, Romans 5, 2a, takes care of the present. We can come to him at any time, in any place, for help. For as Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in a time of trouble. And if there's a time of trouble, it's now. And God is still a very present help in that time of trouble. And hope, of verse 5-2b, the hope of the glory of God takes care of the future. This is a promise that one day you and I will share in his glory. So note with me tonight, I know that was a fairly lengthy introduction, but note with me tonight that Paul says, therefore we can firstly rejoice. He says rejoice in hope. Here the apostle introduces to you and I a subject and a topic of hope that he is going to deal with in further detail in Romans chapter 8. If you go in Romans 8 please, in verse 18... Romans 8 and verse 18. He says this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him whom hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, 
the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is, in, is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for, what, uh, for that we see not, then do we, ha- uh, sorry, then do we with patience wait for it. He says in verse 18, For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. That's our hope. And when we get to Romans chapter 8, Paul is going to reveal just how much we can glory in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And he kind of gives a taste of it here in this little phrase where he says, uh, uh, Rejoice in hope. The word rejoice here in verse 2 means to boast, to glory in, to be joyful. It's something to be excited about. It's something to be thrilled about. It's something to smile about. The exhortation here is that as we keep on enjoying peace with God, we can keep on rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. As you and I rest in the knowledge that we have peace with God, that God has saved us, you and I can keep on resting in the knowledge that the glory of God is one day going to be ours. You know, when we were sinners without Christ, before we got saved, before you and I were justified, before we were declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, before you and I experienced the grace of God, which brings salvation to all men, before you and I trusted Jesus Christ, as our Savior, we had nothing to boast of. Look back in chapter 3 and verse 27 of Romans. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. There was nothing to boast about in our unsaved condition. When you and I were wretched sinners, lost and dying and uh, bound for hell, when you and I were not uh, righteous, you and I had nothing to boast about. But now that you and I are saved, we can rejoice, we can boast, we can glory. The reason why we had nothing to rejoice in before was because we were without hope. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul says the only thing he can glory in is the cross. Before we were saved, there was nothing to boast about. There was nothing to to rejoice in. There was nothing to really be thankful for. We were without hope. Wretched sinners, hell-bound sinners, destined for a Christ's eternity. There was nothing beyond this life. And unfortunately, that's where the vast majority of our world sits today in the midst of this crisis. They have no hope. They're hoping beyond hope that the governments are able to to slow the virus, that the health officials can slow the virus in time for them to be able to find a vaccine, etc. And that is our hope, that is our prayer, that is our desire, even as believers. But as they face the prospect of death, they have no hope. That's not true for us. You and I have a hope. You and I have something to rejoice in, that we are saved, we're justified, 
We're heaven-bound believers. We have hope. Christ told the disciples in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He told them not to be troubled. Why? Because I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, may, there you may be also. There's no need to be troubled because Jesus is coming again, and we're going to see more about that shortly. But the reality is that before we were saved, we fell short of God's glory. We fell short of the righteous standard that God required for us to be saved. That God required for us to be able to enter heaven. We fell short of God's righteous standard and therefore God judged us as sinners. But in Jesus Christ, you and I can rejoice. We can boast in his righteousness and glory. I read this. The believer is both the optimist and a pessimist. The believer is a pessimist because we see no hope for the world. We are an optimist because we see hope for all who trust in Jesus Christ. And that optimism is based upon the hope of his coming again. So note secondly with me tonight, not only are we to rejoice, but we to rejoice in hope. Look what it says, rejoice in hope. Now, the daily news headlines, because of COVID-19, brings little hope to our world. Just thinking this afternoon, if you were unsaved and you were watching the news around the world, you could be very, very distressed. And, you know, the news headlines bring little hope for the world. It seems like there are new developments that come out every hour. I don't know if you're like me, but you know, you get your phone out and you check the news headlines. You want to see whether the Prime Minister's made some new declaration now. Are we being shut down yet? You know, as the Premier came out and said that New South Wales is locked down and, and uh, no more than two people allowed together or whatever. Uh, you know, or are we going to be like Britain, whereby they've shut them down and you run out of your house once a week to go shop and only one person from that household is allowed to go shop and come back and you check by the police to make sure that's where you're going is the shop and back and uh, you know is that what's going to happen to us what what is the what's happening what's going to happen and we keep on our phones we keep checking because hourly it's updated you know on on, uh, on sky news they've got a COVID 19 channel that 24 hours a day just reports on COVID 19 just non-stop rolling coverage you go nuts if you watch it after a while. It just, it just really does get under your skin. It, it, because it changes every hour. There's the increase of infections that change moment by moment. I don't know if you've seen that thing. If you get the Australian newspaper, they have a little thing on, the, on your phone and the clock ticks over how many hours there's been uh, uh, and days there's been of this coronavirus and it ticks by and updates regularly all the numbers. You know, hospitals and medical staff are pushed to their limits and the death toll rises. And there is no doubt that this coronavirus is a momentous tragedy facing our world. 
As of today, or at least before I walked out the door, there were 663,828 confirmed cases of coronavirus worldwide and 30,822 deaths. In Australia, there are 3,662 confirmed cases and 15 deaths. And that's not to speak of those who are in intensive care and those who are on ventilators. I, I understand that in Australia there's about eight people on ventilators uh, in New South Wales, I'm not sure about in other states. But it doesn't include all those who are seriously ill, but it is a terrible statistic that has been updated regularly. You listen to the news coming out of Italy, it's pretty dire. You listen to the news coming out of Spain, that is equally dire. You know, a thousand people die overnight and 890 people die overnight and so it goes on. And these numbers bring with them fear, distress, anxiety, and for some, they bring panic. But let me remind you, beloved, that as believers, we should not be prone to panic, hysteria, and fear. As I said before, we have an almighty God. We serve an almighty God. Who God who is in control of everything throughout all of creation. An almighty God who is sovereign. He's still upon the throne. And beloved remembers this, he loves you and he loves me. Just as much today as he did before the virus. He loves us now. We're his children and he loves us. And as Christians, that fact that God is still in control and that we serve an almighty God must be the lens through which we look at this pandemic and this crisis. We must look at it through the lens of the power of almighty God that we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. We serve our heavenly Father. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians will somehow miraculously be immune from COVID-19. Don't get me wrong. And it doesn't mean that if you and I catch it, that it won't make us seriously ill. I'm even dying. What it does mean is that you and I can trust God, knowing that no matter what happens, he cares for us. He loves us and he is in control. Nothing will happen to you and I that God does not want to happen. God loves us and he's in charge. We can and we must. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, let's go there, it's a very well-known passage. But let me remind you of it, 1 Peter 5, 7. Because you and I can and must do what it says here. 1 Peter 5, 7. Let's go to verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves therefore in the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That truth has not changed. In the 2,000 years since that truth was penned, 
there by Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7, that truth remains true today, that you and I in the midst of this crisis can cast all our care upon him, for he careth for us. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And that plan and purpose includes hope for the future. These are dark days for us. The darkest of days that most of us have experienced in our lifetimes. But as believers, we should not lose hope. For we can look to Christ who is our living hope. Look what it says about this hope in Titus chapter 2. A verse, another verse we all know well. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is our living hope. He's our blessed hope. Look, it was described in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a blessed hope. This is a lively hope. This is a living hope. This is a real hope. Now this hope is not a hope so. Here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2, it's not a hope so. You know, sometimes when we talk about hope, we talk about, well, I hope that will happen. It, it has with it the, the, the possibility of it not taking place. You know, we hope this virus will be over and this crisis will be over by the end of April, we hope. But it comes with the possibility it may not. But in Romans chapter 5 verse 2, the hope here is not that kind of hope. This is not a hope so. Because this word, this word hope means this, to anticipate. Usually with pleasure, with expectation and confidence. This hope so is a no so. When Paul says that we are to rejoice in this hope, this hope is a settled matter. This is a confidence. This is not just something that we anticipate as a possibility. This is something we anticipate as a reality. It's a no so. And I know that because 1 John 3, 2 says that. It says, for we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. For we know. It's a no-so hope. This hope, one commentator said, is a happy certainty. A happy certainty. An absolute certainty. This hope is an anticipation of Christ, uh, of the fact that Christ is coming again. And a happy anticipation of future glorification of the body. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 8.23. Romans 8.23. When we read earlier, he says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption, the glorification of the body. 
This is our hope. Jesus is coming again according to his promise. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, and if it were not so, I would have have said so. I come, uh, let me go back there and read that verse. Sorry, I've got it confused in my head. I know it off by heart. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Then verse 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. He's gone to prepare a place for us. One day he's going to come again and receive us unto himself in that place. You see, God's love does not stop at the new birth. It continues through life. God's love does not stop and God's hope does not stop because of some crisis. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter how dark the days may get in the weeks and months to come, one thing's for certain. This hope, this glorious hope, that Jesus Christ is coming again will not change. It's a no-so. And when he appears, then all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, all true believers, will be made like him. And as true as believers, you and I can be overwhelmed with fear. As we see the experiences, the sufferings, and the pain around the world. Or we can place our confidence in the Lord. The choice is ours. We can become so racked by fear and worry and anxiety that we don't function. Or we can turn unto the Lord and have our confidence in Him, knowing that He knows what's best, have our hope in the Lord. Because Jesus is coming again. One day the suffering will give way to eternal glory. You know, for you and I, beloved, the best is truly yet to come. Each of us as believers has this promise, the hope of Christ's return. Each of us can look with eager anticipation that one day soon Jesus will return to the clouds and take us home to heaven to be with him forever. You know, I was just thinking about it this week. Here is a global crisis. And you know, you can hear the world after it's all over demanding that they're going to need to look at the world uniting, maybe even at a world government. You could almost see it happening. Now, I'm not predicting the Lord's coming tomorrow in the sense that I know something you don't know. But you know, with this, you can see, can't you, the signs of the times. You can see the the fact of what could happen. You can see where this could lead. Now, I don't know whether the Lord's going to come back this year or come back in 10 years' time. That's between him and the Son. But I do know this, that he's coming again. And when he does appear, we shall be changed, for we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and what a glorious day that will be. 
What a hope is ours that have been justified by faith. And because we've been justified, notice what he says, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So he tells us, first of all, to rejoice. He tells us to rejoice in hope. And now he tells us to hope, uh, thirdly, to rejoice in the glory, in the hope of the glory of God. Here he gives to us the object or the ground of our rejoicing. What should cause our rejoicing? Not just the hope, but the hope of the glory of God. You and I are to express our rejoicing because of the hope of the glory of God. There is a joyful confidence expressed in these, expressed in these words. The word glory usually means splendor, magnificence, honor, and the apostle here refers, uses it to refer to ultimate glorification. Hope of the glory of God. The thing that we hope for is the day that you and I will stand on heaven's shore glorified. And what a day that will be. Free from disease. Free from death. Free from terror free from anxiety, free from fear, free from this world, standing in the presence of the King of Kings, beholding our Savior, looking upon His glorious face, standing there glorified, free from sin, in His presence. Is there any wonder the Apostle says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? If that doesn't put a spring in our step, if that doesn't get us excited, if that doesn't make us rejoice, if that does not somehow cause you and I to have some joyous expectation, then something is wrong. You see, here is an assurance of glorification. We have the hope that one day we're going to have the glory of God. We're going to share in the glory of God. Because of this hope, we rejoice in the glory of God. Simply put, we rejoice in hope because we have the expectation of the likeness of God. You see, we're to glory, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, in hope of the glory. Not in hope of being in the glory of God, in other words, being in his presence, which is implied. But the hope here is that you and I hope to have the glory of God, that you and I will be glorified. You know, as I get older, I, I, I think about that, you know, from time to time. It'd be nice to be able to move without any aches and pains. It'd be nice to be able to, you know, uh, not have to wear glasses and not have problems with your eyes and your hearing and your kids tease you about the fact that you're going deaf and you need to have your ears tested. And it's true, we all get deafer the older we get because the register changes in our, where we can hear things, you know. And uh, you get to the place whereby you find yourself re asking people to repeat themselves because you didn't catch it the first time, uh, even though they spoke clearly and there was a truck going by at the moment they spoke and you heard more of the truck than you heard of them. And, 
you think to yourself, boy, it'd be nice not to have that problem anymore. It'd be nice not to have knees that hurt and elbows that hurt and, and shoulders that hurt and, you know, bits and pieces. Uh, and I'm not that old. I, I'm not looking forward to getting to be 80 and, and that because uh, the aches and pains are bad enough now. Uh, but, you know, there's a day coming whereby we will not only be in his glory, we will be glorified. What a day that will be. See, and this confidence that you and I have is not found in ourselves. This is not wishful thinking on our behalf, beloved. This is not just something that was made up, you know, to make us as believers feel good. Our confidence is in God. Go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29. Let's pick it on verse 28 just to get the context. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God chose to predestinate, predetermine that you and I would be conformed to the image of his son. This is the benefit of his salvation. Predestination has nothing to do with getting saved. Predestination has to do with the blessing of salvation. You and I have been, God said, all those who are saved, I predetermine that they will be conformed to the image of my son. We shall be like him, as John, 1 John 3, 2 says, because we shall see him as he is. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And you and I will indeed be glorified to be like him. One day you and I are going to be raptured. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. One day we'll be freed from sin. One day we're going to be freed from pain, freed from tears, freed from the crises that we face. One day you and I will be permitted to participate in the full splendors of the glory of God. The glory that encompasses the throne of God. You and I are going to be part of that. We're going to be part of the heavenly choir. We're going to be there. We're going to be able to sing, Worthy is the Lamb. And you and I are going to stand in His glory, clothed in His righteousness. Glorify. Now, this indicates the marvelous end of our salvation. Glorification that God is in store for all those who place their trust in Him. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, please. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42. So, also, is the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made in a quickening spirit. How be it that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual, the first man is the earth, earthly. The second man 
is the, of, is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly, earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we are born the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall we brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, for as much you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What a glorious passage that is. See, our rejoicing and our hope is in God. It's in what he has done for us through his son who died upon the cross of Calvary. You see, remember, Paul has just spelled out that we're sinners before a holy God. He spelled out that you and I have been justified by faith, that by grace we've saved through faith. And now he tells us there was nothing to rejoice in back then. But now you and I can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There is something to rejoice in. Colossians 1.27 says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our hope, our rejoicing, is found in the fact of glory. Christ is the only hope of glory. And once you and I are saved, our hope and our rejoicing is in the sure knowledge and the certain knowledge of the resurrection and ultimate glorification. While we live in troublesome times, times of genuine concern because of COVID-19, as believers, we have no need to be consumed by fear, for we have hope. A sure and blessed hope that Jesus is coming again. This is the glorious benefit of justification. We have hope in troubled times. And for that, we ought to praise God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night that in Christ we have hope, a blessed hope, a sure and certain hope that one day, because of our relationship to Christ, because we are justified, we will also be glorified. And when we're glorified, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so, Father, even though we're in this world, 
stand in the midst of a crisis that none of us have ever seen. A health crisis that's consuming the world. Help us as believers to have confidence and hope in Christ who is on the throne. King of kings, the Lord of lords. And hope in the knowledge that he's coming again. Commend your word to our hearts, Father. Keep us safe throughout this week. Bring us back together again, 7.30 on Wednesday night to spend time in your word and time in prayer. Bless the church family this week, we pray. And even though we're apart from each other, we know we're not apart from you. Give us confidence. Give us hope and peace in these troubled times. This we ask in Jesus' name.